Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to the show, Fist Street Soccer, presented by BetOnline.ag. I'm your host, Nick Eber, coming to you live on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, as well as Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. Great to be with you. A big show today, one of the advantages, uh, one of the few advantages, let's just say, if you like to think of the glasses half full, uh, you know, you're sitting around the house, it's a great way to reconnect with old friends. Well, today on the show, we're going to reconnect with an old friend of mine, a mentor of mine, an absolute legend in the broadcasting game here in the United States, the former voice of Monday Night Football and Sunday Night Football and, uh, this, and the voice of the NBA on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Mr. Howard David will join me on the show here in a little bit. Uh, let's talk about some of the old days of broadcasting, what got him into the game, and a fascin- we will have a fascinating discussion, no doubt, about his three or four years he spent in the NASL as the voice of the New York Cosmos. So, Howard David coming up, and of course, we need to talk a little bit about some of the trouble in England with the lockdown. Who's going to survive in the Football League? Kartik Krishnaya uh, will give me his input on that. Look, find me on Twitter, at Nagiba, N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R. Find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash talk. I'm with you each and every weeknight from 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, right here on these very networks. Oh, and by the way, big hello to our men and women in uniform around the world uh, listening on the American Forces Network. And if you're listening on one of our digital channels, whether that's iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or the award-winning SiriusXM app, welcome you to the show. Just a reminder, if you miss any part of the show, don't worry, because as soon as the show is over, you can catch it on the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V on the Believe Podcast Network. And by the way, lots of topics this week we're going to talk about, including uh, the Mexican Liga, Liga MX, uh, saying there will be no promotion and relegation for five years. Now, you know I'm a completely pro-promotion and relegation man. However, their reasons are realistic and reasonable, and I think we have to apply some of those same reasons here to the United States. We're not going to talk about that today. We'll have that chat later on in the week with Kartik. All right, I'm going to step aside, take a break, and I'll be right back to kick it all off. Let's talk with Kartik about England. Who survives? Who's going to come through this coronavirus pandemic still around? All right, we'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to Fist Street Soccer here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network. Also, Sirius, Sirius XM211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm your host, Nakiba. Great to be with you. And I have to tell you, you know, I am super excited about a new sponsor for our show. Style's changing. Formal wear is out. And if you're hanging out around your house with this lockdown in effect, you know that you are wearing a lot of T-shirts and probably your undies. But I can tell you, T-shirts, they're absolutely in. Look, true classic tees. Hands down my favorite. It's a company based in L.A., and it's a T-shirt that's on the rise. Their T-shirts are soft. They hold up in the wash. They're incredibly incredibly versatile. Look, you could wear them out. If you're going to go take your trash out for your once-a-week uh, 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 public appearance, wear your, wear your new T-shirt from True Classic Tees. You could wear them out. You can wear them to work. You can wear them around the house. 
Best part is they're incredibly cheap. They're only 15 bucks a piece, and you can now get them for even less. Go to trueclassictees.com. Use the code at checkout, B-L-E-A-V. That's B-L-E-A-V for 20% off. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V, at trueclassictees.com, and hang out around the house in some style. Well, a man who is always in style uh, joins me on the show, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, uh, thanks for staying with us here. Yeah, great to be uh, back, Nick. Yes, good to be back. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Kartik, you said, I'll be back, and you have been, and it's good to have you back. <laughs> Let's talk about England, Kartik. Other than the fact that we've got a couple of footballers, Kyle Walker and Jack Grealish, who have just been behaving, well, badly, I guess, if you want to think about responsibility, probably behaving as sort of early 20s millionaires, uh, athletes with a great big libido and uh, nothing to do. Uh, but they have been partying with some ladies of ill repute, apparently, Kartik. Yeah, and, and in the case of uh, Grealish, he apologized. In the case of Walker, I guess he's going to get uh, the book thrown at him by Manchester City. It just seems so socially um, unaware and, and, and reinforces this notion that particularly British footballers in their 20s have some sort of distance from society as a whole and reinforces all sorts of negative stereotypes about the game. But um, there's more to more than just those two that are reinforcing negative stereotypes sure. about modern football. All right. Well, I tell you what, let's get off this because I did a whole show uh, yesterday about uh, English footballers being tone deaf. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about something that's really uh, much more important than the bad behavior of a couple of kids. Let's talk about the impact that this shutdown is having on not so much the Premier League teams, although it will have an impact on many of the Premier League teams. But let's go down the Football League, Kartik, and talk yeah. about the impact. Like I saw Sunderland just laid off a bunch of players. Uh, what about other teams that have been really iffy in terms of their finances, particularly down in the Championship and the Football League? W what do you think the casualty count is going to be at the end of this, Kartik? And do you think the FA and the Premier League are doing enough in terms of making money available? I know FIFA said they were going to open their coffers to football clubs in trouble. Uh, but is there enough money out there to save the system? I don't think there is, but still, I would say the FA and Premier League are not doing enough. Uh, they uh, put a, a little bit of money into lower division clubs last week, and I actually tweeted it right away once the Premier League had its press release. That's the least they can do. That's a drop in the bucket. So I, I, I think if they were willing to share some of the TV money with uh, lower division clubs, particularly the ones in need, the ones that have not been in the Premier League recently and are not getting parachute payments, that would be uh, – uh, Prefer, uh, good. Now, Sunderland is a club that has been in the Premier League recently for a long time. They had yep. a 10-year run or so in the league. And if uh, I might add, been, got uh, relegated with one of the lowest point totals in Premier League history. Yes, and they um, they have not been a particularly well-run club. I, I give them a lot of credit for opening their doors for uh, this Netflix documentary that I think we've all probably binged on in the last week. But um, you can even see in that documentary, it's a club with... Uh, which had um, a financial uh, a financial structure, a financial model which was stretched. They had an owner that was uh, based in Florida who wrote a lot of checks uh, and uh, uh, self-sustained the club. Ellis Short, he then sold the club mm -hmm. uh, to Stuart Donald, who does not seem willing, who seems to be a spendthrift. And we see that very clearly in the documentary. They didn't get promoted last season. They lost in the playoff final to Lee Boyers-Charlton. This season, 
uh, they were struggling. Then Phil Parkinson came in. They played well since then, but now we're uh, in a in a uh, uh, in, in a pause. So we're not sure if they're going to get back up this season. So now I think they've begun to follow that kind of fiscal discipline their new owner has and lay off people. There are a number of other clubs, uh, some in the Midlands, some in the North, a few in in uh, Greater Manchester like Oldham that are really struggling financially with this shutdown. Uh, I think there are going to be clubs that fail. I'm, I don't have a definitive number from England. I have talked to sources in Germany who tell me if something isn't done, and let's face it, in Germany they're a little more generous. The Bundesliga one clubs are more generous in, right. in, than the Premier League clubs. Uh, that there might only be 18 to 20 professional clubs left in Germany. If they really? Don't, uh, do, yeah, because um, they're losing out on all the TV money and the gate revenues. Well, that's if they don't – that that's actually if they don't resume the season. And I know we're going to talk about it in the in, – uh, um, the ne- the next segment about the uh, German league, about the Bundesliga resuming and uh, maybe forcing a resumption early. But if they do resume the season, that's not a problem. But if they don't, uh, that was a doomsday scenario, what he told me. I would think it would be really somewhere between um, four, 30 and 40 teams that would survive in Germany. In England, there are a lot of clubs living on the edge, Nick, already. Uh, we see clubs that have... Um, overspent we have we see clubs that have uh have taken on a lot of debt and we also see a lot of clubs that have um that have pushed for promotion not made it and then had serious financial problems i mean even clubs like the oval come to town so uh, come to mind so i don't know um i think it's going to be really bad and the big the bottom line is the premier league and the fa need to step in and do something and i would add just uh, in the U.S., the same thing might happen. So if, the U- if U.S. soccer uh, does not want to spend that surplus to help lower division teams get through this, shame on them. Yeah, interestingly enough, I mean, th- we're going to talk about this on another day. We're going to actually take a whole day, Carter, and do uh, a full show on what's happening in the U.S. and the response. But I think if we look at the U.S., we have to look down at, at leagues like the US- USL, which I think is probably the most exposed league, more so than... Uh, NPSL or the sort of the leagues below that yeah. because USL has some fairly high maintenance requirements as a league in terms of stadium side leases you have to have player contracts that you have to be on of course they have large franchise fees and annual payments this could be a devastating blow for USL um, and I'm not sure as much as I have my issues with USL Kartik I don't think that's helpful at all to the pyramid here in the United States. Not that we have a pyramid, by the way. We do not. We have a bunch of different leagues. But I don't think that that is helpful to USL and to, uh, let's say, minor league soccer at all. No, I think it would be very devastating for the sport in the U.S. I I agree with you. I think NPSL teams... NPSL, because they made the the tough decision but the wise decision to just abort their season completely. Uh, If you haven't heard, the NPSL has canceled their season. So um, those teams were able to get, and and I'm in touch with a number of of those clubs, out of any kind of stadium lease, any sort of other um, staffing arrangements that they had made because their season hadn't started. Their season was about to start, by the way. When the plug was pulled, we were about a week or two away from the start of the NPSL season. So um, the timing worked out. They made the decision a few weeks later just to abort. USL clubs did begin their season. They have stadium leases. They have player contracts. They usually rent facilities. They rent training facilities. They do not have any revenue coming in currently. They do not have a TV deal. I know they're on ESPN, but it's basically a barter deal. They're not getting really a rights fee for that. So they have um, 
an even greater problem. I mean, their problem is probably a lot like League One and League, League Two in England. Fairly similar, other than in League One and League Two, a lot of those clubs do control their grounds. Others don't. Uh, but I, I really fear for USL. This is going to be very difficult for them. And that is, again, why U.S. soccer needs to help out uh, Jake Edwards and Alec Papadakis in Tampa. Maybe write them a check or do something to get them through this. All right. Well, Kartik, we're going to have to talk about that another day. I think that's a whole show on the impact that the shutdown has on Major League Soccer. Uh, in the meantime, always great to have you back with me. Nick Eber and Kartik Krishnaya with you here on Fifth Street Soccer, live on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network and Sirius XM 211. Dan Patrick Sports. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Nick Eber, N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R. He's at KKFLA 737. We will be right back after this. All right, welcome back to Fifth Street Soccer here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm your host, Nick Eber. It's great to be with you. I'm with you every Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, right here on these very networks. And I would be remiss if I didn't welcome to the show all of our men and women in uniform around the world listening, uh, courtesy of the American Forces Radio Network. Well, coronavirus lockdowns are in full effect. Sports have essentially come to a standstill. So what better time than to catch up with some old friends, and I'm privileged to welcome to the show, practically the first time, uh, a man who's really been uh, much of a mentor to me over the years, a legendary sportscaster, uh, whether it's uh, Sunday night football, Monday night football, currently uh, Sirius XM NBA a radio host, uh, Mr. Howard David. Uh, Howard, how are you handling uh, this lockdown? Well, before we go there, Nick, I, I had to tell you, you say you're on American Forces Radio. That's really why I got started when I was in the Air Force and was sent over to Tripoli, Libya. And I was, if you remember the movie Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams, I was Good Morning Tripoli. <laughs> Good morning, Tripoli. Oh, yeah, well, uh, and boy, how times have changed. Uh, they probably wouldn't let anyone uh, in there at all uh, to do with American forces of any sorts these days. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, American Forces Network, fantastic place to be. So, Howard, that's where you started, American Forces. Uh, where did it go after there? Uh, the first job I got was in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, working for an AM and FM uh, combination. And got a chance to do, I started doing news, and then I uh, had experience doing morning radio in Armed Forces Radio. So they fired the morning man and asked me to take over his job, and I did that for well, a long time. So that, I was at that radio station for almost eight years. And then from there I went to New York, and you know, from there things started to snowball a little bit, and, and we got involved in a lot of different things. A lot of football early on, a, a whole probably 40 years of doing football at college and NFL level and a lot of basketball between college and pros and well, everything, including uh, your passion and love soccer with the great Cosmos team of the late seventies with Pelé and Shep Messing and, and everybody connected with that organization. Well, so and then the golf tour, a lot of things. Well, we're going to get there. We're going to actually uh, next uh 
Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the NASL and, of course, the state of soccer in this country uh, today. Uh, well, maybe not today because uh, the state of soccer is much like the state of every other sport, uh, as in non-functional at this moment. But, Howard, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, lots of discussions about the NBA talking about coming to Las Vegas to do a tournament uh, at one or two locations, uh, sequestering the players and their families and the officials and everything else. Same thing with the NHL. They're planning on apparently heading off somewhere uh, that no one's ever heard of uh, in, in, the, in the upper reaches of the country to do the same sorts of things. But when we look at reality, what's your take on the reality of this? I mean, my gut feeling is that the one sport that's powerful enough uh, to buck the lockdown orders and to get going as the NFL. And, and there's a, a, a piece of me that thinks we're not going to see any form of live sports until the NFL gets going. What do you think? Uh, well, you're going to get, obviously, some NFL-related topics starting Thursday with the draft. <clears throat> that goes Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And it's going to be done uh, in virtual reality. The commissioner is going to be in his basement in New York and, uh, uh, you know, beginning and ending and announcing the players and so on. And that all the teams will be at various locations throughout the country uh, in their own, uh, you know, and obviously paying uh, a lot of attention to all the things that we're being told to do in terms of separation and so on. So that, that's, uh, it's going to be a little tricky, but I don't think it's insurmountable. I think it'll get done. Uh, they'll announce the picks and, and so on. The players, where normally we would see them in the room being interviewed, that won't happen. But I'm sure they'll work out something in terms of interviewing the players at various locations uh, throughout the country. So I, I think that'll go off okay. Uh, but again, it's not, there's not uh, a live audience to deal with, where normally you would, you would have people in the building. So you don't have to deal with that. Um, it's not a live. Um, it's not a live program per se, where you're going to get reacting based on the the fans cheering and so on. So when you when you're getting into live sports, well, that's a whole different element altogether. And right now, I mean, the NFL here we are in April, so we don't really have to worry about it until September, and maybe they'll get started late. We'll have to see how that works out. I think not necessarily in any order, but they're going to try to get baseball off the ground in some form, and maybe it'll take place in Arizona or Florida or both. We're not sure. Uh, professional basketball has got a different set of problems to overcome, not the least of which is still have something like 16 or 17 games remaining in the regular season, and I don't know if they're going to be able to resume where they left off. Will there be some kind of an abbreviated schedule? One thing they're going to have to do, you cannot say to NBA players, you know, you're off today, you're going to start tomorrow. They're going to need, excuse me, they're going to need three or four weeks of a training camp uh, just to get back into some kind of basketball shape. Um, so I think if they overcome that obstacle and then if they have a schedule of games, an abbreviated schedule, and then go into the playoffs, I, I think that's probably the most logical most logical scenario so you think major league baseball will figure out some way uh in arizona and florida i believe is what the plan is 
of course, it's going to create all sorts of havoc with the AL and NL. Uh, the, the sort of uh, that's probably going to go uh, out the window for this particular season because there'll be you know West Coast uh, teams will will go to Arizona, East Coast teams will go to Florida, regardless of what particular mm -hmm. league you are uh, you are playing in. So that will present some interesting opportunities. But you know, Howard, I wonder at what point are players and their families going to want to be sequestered for this long? You know, that, <clears throat> that's uh, one of the main questions. How are they going to do this thing logistically? Uh, I don't have the answer to that, obviously. So I, I don't, there's a lot of obvious problems. Um, it, it may require the players to go without their families and, and to, to do what they have to do to get everything back into motion. I, I think it's, we're, so, uh, we're so far away from seeing the reality of things. I mean, there's even discussion. They won't even begin discussing it until some kind of a serum is, is developed. Well, based on what the experts are saying, you could be a year to a year and a half away from that happening. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's no guarantee that uh, I was reading an article. There's no guarantee they're even going to get an effective vaccine for this. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, issues uh, that really raise their head. Um, which is why when I look at this, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm talking to Howard David, legendary broadcaster, a mentor of mine. Uh, it's absolutely fabulous to have Howard on the show. Uh, I know this is Fifth Street Soccer, but we are talking about sports in general because soccer does not live in a vacuum. It lives alongside all the other professional sports, not only here in the, in the United States, but globally. I mean, it is suffering the same problems everyone else is, which is shutdowns no fans in stadiums no athletes are going to show up and it's and how it is not just the athletes i mean we have this situation right now where you know there's 17 games left in the nba season there are eight or nine games left in the english premier league season and of course if you look at uh, european soccer leagues the differences there isn't just if you make the playoffs or not and many of them of course don't have playoffs uh they have promotion and relegation um, namely, if you're at the bottom of the table at the end of the season, you're kicked out of the top division and you go down to the lower division and the three teams mm. in the lower division come up to the top division. How do you handle that? I mean, if you look at the Premier League, for example, you've got a bunch of teams. Uh, there are, of the three relegation spots, I would say two of them are potentially up in the air. So if you end, if you end the league today, yeah, you can crown a champion, certainly in terms of the Premier League, Liverpool by far uh, away the champion. But, you know, who do you relegate? So just like all leagues, there's all sorts of issues. However, I think with the NBA, it's potentially easier for them to draw a line under the league today and say, we're going to draw a line under it. Let's send them off for some training camp. And then let's start with the playoffs as if the league ended today. It would be interesting to see. But as I said before, Howard, NFL, I think, is the driver. And I think uh, maybe Major League Baseball but certainly, um, you know, the NFL are going to start uh, flexing their muscle about making sure that when their season starts, uh, no one's locked down and they can actually start and put their products on television. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, I think it, it, when you look at ratings, certainly the ratings to the NFL are stronger than any other sport in this country. You look at, uh, and let's be candid about it, there's a lot of betting that goes on with yeah. the National Football League. Yeah. And so pe people, um, I mean, we have a mutual friend, Nolan Dalla in Las Vegas, who's telling me about, about you know, the impact that all of this has had on, on the city of Las Vegas and all the gambling. So it drives it, yes. Uh, people, this keep, there's people of all ages that get into fantasy. That's a big deal. 
There's millions of people that participate in that. So it's not just the games. It's the spinoff from those games. It's, it's the gambling. It's the, it's the fantasy and everything connected with the sport. So, <clears throat> excuse me, when you deal in an, an event that deals with millions and millions of people, uh, and they, their Sundays, as an example, uh, are built around. Everything's built around the game on Sunday. Before, after. My daughter, as an example, has season tickets to the Jets games. Uh, her and her family, they go there before the game. They tailgate, throw the football around. I mean, it's, a, it's an event. It's not just a three-hour football game. Right. All right. I'm chatting with uh, Howard David, legendary broadcaster, a mentor of mine. Great to have Howard on the show. I have to go to break here. We will be right back with more uh, right after this on Fifth Street Soccer, presented by BetOnline.ag. Don't go anywhere. Ah, whiskey in the jar. Well, given that I'm, like everybody else, spending much of my time at uh, home, there has been plenty of whiskey in the jar. I suppose one of the side effects of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, But joining me on the guest line, my good friend, legendary broadcaster, a mentor of mine, uh, Mr. Howard David. Howard, uh, thanks for staying with me here. Pleasure, Nick. Uh, All right, so... uh, Let's go back to your early broadcast days and the North American Soccer League, where you were the voice of the Cosmos during one of uh, the most important periods in the life of that league. We're talking about, of course, the period at which a legendary player, Pelé, uh, played for the Cosmos. Uh, Howard, what are some of your most vivid memories of the, that era? And how many years did you, uh, did you work for the Cosmos? Uh, actually, uh, I worked for the production company that, that put their games on New York television. And it was involved with them for three years from 76, 77, and 78. Uh, 76, they were playing their games at Yankee Stadium. And as a uh, guy growing up in New York, uh, Yankee Stadium was like a cathedral to me, certainly, because uh, it was a great baseball stadium, a great arena to, to play baseball in, obviously, and there was some football played and so on. So I remember walking into Yankee Stadium, and we were just getting ready to televise our first game the following week. And uh, on the scoreboard at Yankee Stadium, it said, we want to welcome, it was me and, and Jim Carvellis, who was my partner, who's since passed away, uh, with our names on the Yankee Stadium scoreboard. And I went, look at this. <laughs> I grew up a Brooklyn Dodger fan, and my name is on the board at Yankee Stadium. There was something kind of ironic about that, but I remember going to, I forget who the Cosmos were playing, but I was standing in the end zone uh, behind one of the goals. And at the opposite end, the Cosmos were on the attack, and Pelé hit a bicycle kick that had about a 20 to 25-foot break on it. That went into the back of the net, and I couldn't believe what I was watching. And this was my introduction to seeing Pelé live. And we started doing some games, mostly away games. But 77 was the magical year. It was the year when soccer exploded in New York because of the Cosmos, primarily because of the attraction of Pelé and the other international stars 
that were his teammates. Franz Beckenbauer from Germany, Giorgio Chinaglia from Italy. Um, Carlos Alberto was there as well, Carlos wasn't Alberto he? From yeah. Europe, Pele's teammate. Uh, Steve Hunt from England. Uh, Dennis Tewart from England. Uh, and Shep Messinger, who's an American goalie, uh, played for the U.S. Olympic team in 1972 and the tragedy that surrounded the, um, uh, the uh, Munich Olympics. So it, it was a, a well-known team around the world. And what Warner Communications that owned the team wanted to do was expose this team worldwide. So before the season started, they played some international matches in various parts of the world to introduce this team. And I want to say that during the course of the season, I mean, initially there was 20,000 people, 25,000 people, and it started to grow to the point of where they played a playoff game at in Giant Stadium against Fort Lauderdale, and there were 77,000 yeah. people in the stadium. Right. And, and that actually, Howard, that was the largest crowd ever to attend a Cosmos game that was 77. Um, 77,691 fans is a record for American soccer at the time. Uh, and, of right. course, you're talking about that 1977 year. That was the first year that the Cosmos actually played at Giant Stadium. They were at Yankee Correct. Stadium in 76. Right. That's exactly right. And so <clears throat> what was interesting about that, a friend of mine called me when he heard about, you know, the crowd that was at the Giant Stadium that day, and he said, well, was it a papered house? What that means is, well, there are a lot of free tickets that were given away. Right. And I said, no, no, these these were all sell. They were all sold tickets. Every single one of them it wasn't one comp ticket given out at all. Um, so that's what made it even more incredible. So that 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 got the attention of New York City. Uh, it got the attention of the soccer public, not only in New York City around the United States, and if not around the world. Howard, uh, the NASL obviously collapsed in 79, 80. Uh, the league sort of came to its conclusion. It died a bit of a, um, uh, an unfortunate death, uh, shall we say. Uh, when you look at Major League Soccer today, and you look at the NASL of the past, do you think of the NASL that was a real opportunity that was lost? I think what they tried to do is expand for a little money. If I'm not mistaken, they were charging only $250,000 to start a franchise. That's When you think about it, Nick, it's really nickels and dimes. It's, yeah. uh, they, they overexpanded for cheap money, and I think their uh, enthusiasm to expand the league was their own, was their own undoing. Yeah, they overexpanded, undercapitalized, the league collapsed, and of course it took uh, a long time, it took till 1996 for a, another Division I league to rear its head here in the United States. That, of course, is Major League Soccer. But you know, Howard, when I look back, I mean, the, the, the major changes between, say, the height of NASL in 77, probably all the way through uh, 79, where they were still drawing you know, an average of nearly 47,000 people to Giant Stadium, uh, was the opportunity in a much less crowded sports landscape back then. Obviously, we didn't have, you know, 15 different sports networks on the television. It was a much less crowded sports landscape. It was a real opportunity for soccer to uh, get its toe in, shall we say, into the major sports landscape here. And in point of fact, I think the demise of the league set the sport back 30 years. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
I think, you know, what, you know, when we, when you're intimately involved as we were doing the games, uh, you, um, you, you see players that came into Giant Stadium or we went on the road and played games. And uh, I remember Washington, the Washington diplomats had a player named Johan Cruyff. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dutch, a Dutch player who was his, his ability. I, I, I was blown away with him from this standpoint. He, I, I remember there was one time he was on the near sideline and there were two or three, maybe four players in his path. He found his way around every single one of them. We're talking about a guy that, let me draw a parallel for those that follow basketball. It was like playing with the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, the way for sure. That he handled the ball with his feet compared to the way they dribbled with their hands. I mean, it was astounding to me. So I had never seen Cruyff in person. I was exposed to that, and he blew me away. And, I mean, we saw, yeah, Rodney Marsh was at the end of his career playing with Fort Lauderdale. But still, he was a bit of a character. He was a bit of a of a figure that people could, you know, really you know, grow close to. And, you know, the Fort Lauderdale strikers were a good team. Cosmos used to battle him every year. But, I mean, we had our own – this was like going to a concert every game because when I walked into the locker room before the game to do an interview or whatever, it was not uncommon to see Henry Kissinger in that locker room. It was not uncommon to see Mick Jagger in that locker room because Warner Communications also owned Atlantic Records and a lot of their talent would come into the locker room primarily to meet Pelé. Well, you know how it... Just the names that you were mentioning. Uh, Johan Cruyff, obviously one of the greatest players ever to play the game. The Dutch master himself. The man who defines so many, so much of the tactics and skill sets uh, that are used in today's game. You're talking about Franz Beckenbauer. You're talking about Rodney Marsh. Of course, Pelé, Carlos Alberto. I mean, the list of uh, the players that played in the NASL, uh, it, it goes on and on. But you had actually said, a, uh, you, you told me the other day a very funny story, though, about Shep Messing. Uh, and I wonder if Shep wouldn't be too mad if you repeat, repeated that story for our listeners here about the gloves. You mean about the gloves? Yes. Uh, we talked about it on my podcast the other day, so it's not like anything that he laughs about it now as I do, but they're playing the final uh, in Portland against Seattle Sounders. And uh, my hotel room was right next to Shep's. So I went out in the hallway. I think I was going to go down to the lobby to get something. And Shep came out of his room, and he had his uh, goalkeeper's gloves on. And I said, what are you doing with your gloves on? He said, you can't tell anybody. I said, tell me what? He goes, well, what happened was he had a shoe deal with a manufacturer. And it's not important who the manufacturer was. And he got Franz Beckenbauer gave him a, a pair of shoes that he loved. So he couldn't go on the field wearing these shoes because they had the logo, the chevron on the side of the shoes. So Shep tried to you take a straight razor and cut the chevron off, and he sliced the palm of his hand. <laughs> well, a goalkeeper with a sliced hand is not a good goalkeeper. No. You know, so I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, we're taping it up, and... He said, you can't tell anybody. I said, I wouldn't betray your confidence. Of course I wouldn't tell anybody. He goes and plays in the game. They win two to one. 
And in the locker room after the game, I go down from the booth to the locker room to do interviews. And the first guy I saw was Shep. He still had his gloves on, only now you could see the tape above his gloves were all bloodstained of the one hand. I said, you haven't told anybody yet? He goes, no. So we do the interview. One thing leads to another. He finally tells Eddie Fermani, his coach, what happened. He said, well, I'm glad you told me after the game and not before. So it was a great secret, but here's the goalkeeper of the, of the champion Cosmos with a sliced palm of his hand that required, I don't know, something like 30 stitches. Wow. And, you know, went out and played, and I tell you what, times, how different they are today, uh, you know, he'd probably be put on the injury list and uh, uh, sure. <laughs> sent away uh, for four weeks to uh, to recover. Uh, Howard, the... Uh, of course, you and I go way back, and I'm just smiling listening to you talk and uh, being here talking with you, remembering very uh, clearly about some of the really fun World Series of Poker events we called together here in Las Vegas. Uh, that was uh, a great time. Of course, Las Vegas right now completely shut down. And, Howard, my understanding is they're still debating whether to reopen the World Series of Poker this year or not, but I think probably not. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I would have, any, would have no knowledge of that, but... Yeah, the World Series of Poker, it was, it was, um, this was all virgin territory to me. Uh, you know, I knew how to play poker, so that wasn't the concern, but I'm figuring, I'm talking to somebody, and I, I want to say somebody who's writing for USA Today, saying, I hear that you're going to do hand-by-hand uh, -hand coverage of the World Series of Poker. I said, yeah. He says, have you ever done that before? And I said, no, the first time I do it will be my first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know the game, so that, that, that's the biggest problem that, that you have to overcome. Is you, you have to know the game. You have to know the rules. But the poker world, to me, was interesting because it involved people that were in a world that I didn't have any, any relevance to. I had no knowledge of the kinds of people. Gamblers are nuts. I mean, <laughs> poker players are nuts. They, I mean, they, they get up in the morning, they have a cup of coffee maybe, and they go play poker. They have lunch and they play poker, and they have dinner and they play poker. They could play 18, 19 hours a day. All right, Howard. Common. You and I are going to have to do uh, another segment or two at some other time about uh, our memories of the World Series of Poker. Howard, David, an absolute pleasure. And you can find Howard's podcast. Uh, Howard, just about 10 seconds. Where can they find your podcast? Right now on uh, twitch.tv slash Howard David Live. All right, check out Howard's podcast full of big names. Great talk. Uh, my friend, Howard David. Howard, uh, stay safe, my friend, and best to you and your family. Same to you, Nick. All right, welcome back to Street Soccer on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm Nick Gieber. I uh, want to thank my good friend and mentor, Howard David, for coming on the show and uh, sharing some uh, truly remarkable memories of the early days of soccer here in the United States. Uh, most notably, of course, we're talking about the three years he spent in the North American Soccer League as the voice of the New York Cosmos uh, during a period when uh, soccer was at the forefront of the American mindset. And, of course, some of the biggest names, Beckenbauer, uh, we're talking about uh, uh, Cruyff, Pele, 
Carlos Alberto, Rodney Mott, all playing, I believe even George Best might have been playing at that time, all playing in the NASL. What a league it was, and of course that league uh, self-destructing just a few years later. But I want to thank Howard for coming on, always a pleasure, and of course thank Kartik for coming on, talking a little bit about the situation in England. Hope you will make me and this show a regular part of your week. I'm with you Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific on these networks. We talk the beautiful game, and of course, while we're locked down, we'll talk a little bit more than just the beautiful game as well. We're going to talk everything, lifestyles, American sports, and uh, mark my words, I don't know that Major League Baseball or the NBA or the NHL has enough clout to move the needle in terms of uh, getting live sports started up again in this country, but the NFL most certainly does. And if there's one league I cannot imagine will spend any time at all shut down, okay, draft maybe aside, uh, or is going to be the National Football League, I think if you're worried about when we're going to see a return to normalcy here in this country, never fear, the National Football League will likely come to your rescue. All right, uh, of course, uh, not saying much about Major League Soccer or the Premier League. Uh, By the way, the European League setting some July date for the end. We're going to talk about that later on in the week, so be sure to tune in. If you've missed any part of this show, uh, you can, of course, catch it immediately following the show at the Believe Podcast Network. That's a B-L-E-A-V. Until then, enjoy the show, enjoy the repeats, enjoy the podcast, but most certainly and most importantly, stay safe, secure, remember your social distancing, and I'll speak to you tomorrow. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.